Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. That was very jarring, very shocking. I literally fainted on the floor and it was very traumatic because my world was shaken. I could not believe that this was real, but it felt real. And that's why I come back through in the practice that I have today, where I, I, I reinforce the importance of listening gently to your feelings at a pace that you can handle because there's truth in there. So where your cognitive mind is telling you something else, that emotion, that feeling, you know it's true. And that's what happened to me when I realized this man, I do not know this man. This man is actually a monster. What is this? Who am I? Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. 
Hello, my beautiful friends. I hope you're well. I hope you're having a great week. I'm so excited to be able to connect you today with the exquisite insights of intuitive healing coach, Wen Peets. Sitting down with Wen for this chat, I felt this incredible, calm, healing energy. And I believe anyone who works with Wen would find her sessions deeply helpful. We are hearing from Wen about the trauma she experienced in childhood from both parents. We hear about the expectation, the need for a family to keep up appearances. We hear about the masks we wear. This is all about truth. At a point in her life, Wen experienced a complete breakdown. And it's often when we're faced with the truth that we do break down our lives shatter. Because for most of us, life is an endless game of keeping secrets, burying memories, wearing a mask and staying small and silent. Wen has spent years learning to own her truth, giving herself the freedom to speak, live and be her true self. And at its core, that is about learning to trust yourself. We do reference sexual abuse in this episode, but we do not go into detail. Please join me now for Wen's story. Wen Pete, welcome to the How My Parents Raised Me podcast. You are an intuitive healing coach who is helping women to become such powerful decision makers that they never have to doubt themselves ever again. You help women break up with intrusive thought trolls. And I love the name that you've given to what goes on inside of our brains. You are also the author of a brand new book called Inner Child Healing, Heal Your Wounds, Train Your Mind, Create a New You, which is a part memoir and part self-help book. In the book, you are urging readers to listen to the messages living inside their feelings so they can become the home and the safe space that they never want to run away from. And we're all desperate for that safe space, that safe home. I could literally not love what you are all about anymore. Everything just resonates so deeply with me. Let's delve into your story a little bit. And when looking back, you describe your parents' as having a parents are God's mindset, which I think a lot of people will relate to. Can you explain how that played out in your childhood? Sure. Thank you. I must say, Dawn, for inviting me here into your home. I am so grateful to be here. How it played out in my childhood, and to be fair, in the childhoods of my most of my friends and my family members was whatever parents said was held as gospel. It's like Jesus just spoke to you and no questions asked. You follow to the T, otherwise there would be repercussions and the type that you do not want to necessarily be on the receiving end of. So that's the mindset. There was no, for the most part, practice of inquiry. Like, what do you think about this? It was, for the most part, do it. Don't ask why. You ask too many questions. Go away. Type of mindset. It wasn't encouraging inviting proper communication if I'm frank yeah absolutely and I 100% understand that and so did you have what you would describe as a positive relationship with each of your parents were they were they good and loving parents in other ways 
Yeah, there were so many positive elements and so many positive traits of both my parents. And that's why Shein tried to be very transparent and as honest as possible in the book. My mother, for example, she, to me, was the epitome of elegance and grace and poise and talk about a home well kept and and understanding the importance of, shall we say, external beauty and taking care of your external appearance. And her personality is quite buoyant, believe it or not, and friendly and warm. So people gravitate to her authenticity in that regard. So to me, she was an example of how a woman should walk, speak, carry themselves. And she essentially is a self-made woman, not coming from a financially wealthy background, but she was the first woman I knew who bought her own house and did all these pioneering, shall we say, things. So in that regard, she was a positive example. And my father, he was a a positive example. He instilled the importance of education, right? Took all these French lessons. You name the lesson, anything that I was interested in, piano, I studied classical piano. He encouraged that. He taught me how to swim. He taught me how to (laughs) change a tire. So all these positive traits were happening in the background, but there were other elements that were very harmful and more resonant because of their lasting effect in some regard in my life. So I tried to look at both sides of it. These beings came from a place of hurting, and that was their way of communicating primarily when they were hurting. In instances, I showed up in different places in their lives, and that's how they expressed themselves, unfortunately. Yes, and so when your mother would get upset with something, how did that go down in your house? It would vary. For the most part, I'd say like, I'd say mostly at least once a month. Listen, I was not the type of child that would not ask questions. I was very inquisitive. In some regard, I was very defiant because I always needed to understand why is this the way it needs to be? I have a thought that's different to your thought. I would like to do this thing. And she did not grow up in that type of environment. She grew up in the way she raised me. No is no, and that's the end of it. So if she was dealing with her own personal stresses as a single parent working so hard and creating a a loving home and providing all the things physically that I needed then here am I asking all these questions and stressing and not listening and being defiant so then she would raise her voice and it'll be combative and at least once a month once every other month I would get whipped you know I would get lashes for being And in some regard, I'm sure there was some reason I should have gotten punished, but was that the best way of communicating your displeasure with the way I was behaving? I do not think so, but that's what she knew. Mm. And how does that affect a, a little girl getting beaten? If I'm honest, I thought it was normal. A lot of my friends, only a few of my friends, maybe one of my other cousins, I knew she didn't have parents. She was raised by her dad and he would literally talk it out with her. What's wrong? What's going on? Let's have a chat. So I thought it was normal. I thought it was hurtful. It was violent. I knew that. I felt I felt unwanted. I felt like I was bad. And even though I knew it was unkind, I deserved it because of who I was. And hey, this is the only parent, parents, I have both parents at the time. This is the parent that you know, and she's caring for you. So this is the deal. (laughs) This is how you've got to suck it up. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think a lot of people will um, resonate with that. And your parents were quite concerned with where they fit into society with outside appearances. And I totally and utterly relate to that. You know, I think a lot of people live in families where there's a lot of secrets. We all do certain things behind closed doors, but in public, we need to appear as the perfect people, perfect family, right? Yes, I think that's fair. And I grew up in a very, very tiny, whiny <laughs> little island in the Caribbean. I think our population back then, maybe 40,000, 40,000 people. So everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody. And my village was very small. So it was important that you kept that reputation intact. And even though your immediate neighbors, they would hear me getting beaten or hear our arguments or whatever, they kind of were almost doing the same thing. So it was normal for everybody else too. And so keeping up appearances was always important. <laughs> we go to church on time and do all the things on time and be together. And there were some very joyful moments. I will always say that. But there were some, mis let's call them mistruths, so many lies and faces and masks you had to wear. And remember, okay, you've got to smile because this person may look at you and you don't want to appear, you know, sad or whatever that may ask a question and that could have repercussions of getting more punishment so you're always mindful of wear the mask wear the mask you know oh yeah absolutely and isn't everybody doing that I mean <laughs> it's just like we live in a world where everybody's got their masks on and oh there's so much pressure though isn't there I think in in so many families where we just feel like we can't just be ourselves we can't just say what we want to say without there being huge repercussions and it just changes it changes who we are right as as people because we grow up with so many beliefs about who we are like you said you know, I thought I was bad and I think probably 80% of the population is walking around with that belief it's just how how we're all raised now I want to talk a little bit about your dad because I think your dad was somebody that you believe was always on your side and a loving presence in your life. But what what's the actual truth to that story? The truth to that story is the full truth is my my father to me was the guy, the, the shining armor that saved me from whatever disagreements my mother and I had. He lived very close to where I lived. And so I would, he would be my champion. You could speak to him about anything and he would actually listen, listen with his whole being. And you'd have that conversation where you felt seen and heard and actually respected. Your opinions matter. And so he would be the referee whenever my mother and I had in disagreement. And so that was, that was a great safe space for me. And I always thought I had that. So that was my memory of my father throughout my whole life and then when I was about in my early mid, mid to mid to late 20s I had one of my repressed memories I was actually working taking a break from work I was working a lot in corporate America I was burned out and I took some time off and a repressed memory came back of my father sexually abusing me when I was a kid I must have been about eight years old that's the first memory that I have I don't have many memories at all as a child so when that came through that was very jarring very shocking I literally fainted on the floor and it was very traumatic because my world was shaken 
I could not believe that this was real, but it felt real. And that's why I come back through in the practice that I have today, where I, I, I reinforce the importance of listening gently to your feelings at a pace that you can handle because there's truth in there. So where your cognitive mind is telling you something else, that emotion, that feeling, you know, it's true. And that's what happened to me when I realized this man, I do not know this man. This man is actually a monster. What is this? Who am I? While this was happening to me with my mother being physically abused, he was actually sexually abusing me around the same time. Because my mother, I think she stopped beating me when I was in maybe what you call this middle school or so around that time and so my memory was at eight and at eight I was still in elementary school so everything was happening at the same time I was running to him for relief away from her but I was being hurt not knowing I was being hurt so it really crazily put me in this state of trying to figure out who am I what am I why am I it was very very distressful time for me as many other trauma survivors with repressed memories and have that come back, that truth knocks the wind out of your whole being. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fascinating what the brain does, isn't it? Putting those memories away. I'm always like, how does that work? How do we not have any kind of inkling that, that something happened? It's it's incredible, I guess. The brain is somehow trying to keep us safe, right? Isn't that absolutely the, the reason behind that is, yeah. And I'm grateful for that. And that's why I share with my clients, I invite them to work at a pace that they can handle emotionally. It's so important because we, we are all different beings. We have different lived experiences. And when you talked earlier about growing up in an environment where there's the prevalence of keeping up with other parents and keeping that face of everything's perfect even behind that especially for people of color like myself and coming from different backgrounds we already have imprinted in our dna at the cellular level at the cellular level trauma that we come into the world with so to have that compounded with additional trauma it's it's a lot to work through and work out so that sense of belonging is what we look for in our homes and to find out you don't even have a safe space then you have to become that safe space it's a lot of let's say responsibility and honor if you so choose to give yourself consent to do that work that soulful work that I'm so grateful I came through on the other side of many of my clients as well yeah absolutely and so in your 20s when you had this realization how did you cope with that did you have a breakdown I mean it's it must just be so heavy to to get to a point where you start having those sort of memories come back. Very heavy. I was actually watching, I speak about it plainly in the book, I was watching an Oprah Winfrey rerun or something on television when I lived in New York. And the lady was talking about her trauma with her father. And I don't remember word for word what she said, but literally as she was speaking, I was seeing images of myself being hurt similarly to her. And I fell, I remember falling on the carpet and fainting and waking up it was in the afternoon then it was night then it was the next day I was just literally not I knew I wasn't didn't have a heart attack or anything like that because I could move I wasn't in shock I wasn't in shock to that extent my body was functioning but I just could not move I could not figure out how to get off the carpet I say in the book I wanted to get some water I wanted to use the bathroom I just could not 
my body was not cooperating with my mind. Did I have a breakdown? I had a breakthrough. I had a something. I had a revelation that put me on my knees. And I stayed there for almost a day, just being still and just receiving all the things that were coming through. And in my mind, I was saying, this is real. This is not real. It's this, this, this juxtaposition. You can't believe what you're feeling, what your mind is showing you in terms of pictures, but you feel it so you know it's real. So it's that balancing. It's very, very difficult. But eventually, I got up off the carpet because something, I think, and that's why I share in my book, every emotion has a job to do. For me, after I got through that, let's call it 24, 23, 24 hours of stillness, anger, this roaring madness and anger came through and saying, what? This, I will not allow this. This is wrong. I'm going to tell somebody because this is a complete violation. How dare you? You're evil. All these things came up and I went right away and typed a letter to my father. And I said all the things. I said, I remember. You think I would never remember. And it, it all helped. The anger helped me work through and express myself. So in that moment, that's why I say every emotion has a job to do. I thanked that. Now I'm looking back. I thanked that anger for helping to give me the strength to get off that carpet. Because shame was very present. Guilt, confusion, not denial, but those other emotions were there. But anger was so prevalent, it helped me to get off that, off that carpet and declare what I felt was true and what I felt was wrong. So in that moment, I'm grateful I had the strength to do just that, to witness myself and to know that what I felt was truthful and I needed to get it out in some way. And so I wrote, <laughs> I wrote, and that led eventually to me writing this story, the book. Yeah, and... What happened with your relationship with your father? Ah, so after I shared that, I sent that letter to my mother came up and she visited from St. Kitts when I was still living in New York. She gave him the letter. He denied everything. I'm making up stories. And I severed that relationship. Absolutely 100%. There was no way. And I was very still in shock. And I was dealing with a lot of other emotions and it's a very difficult time. There was no way I can have a relationship with this person. I don't know who this is. And it's, 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 he's saying, I'm a liar, completely, you know, denying everything. There's no relationship there. I needed to protect myself for me to keep moving in some way, shape or form in life inside my body. And that's how I chose to make that decision. I'm going to protect myself from this, this evil, this bond of trauma. Yeah. And I suppose it's that realization at that point that you didn't have any safe spaces at all growing up. There was no safe spaces. So was it this yearning to find a safe space for yourself? And it took a long time because I did not feel safe inside my body. Mm. So regardless of where I lived, and I moved a lot, because in my mind, I had nightmares. I had all these other things I explained in the book. I felt like I was always running, running away from myself, running away from where I lived because everything was triggering, including my face, because I look so much like my father, including just smells, including colors, you name it, Dawn. Everything had some story when he visited me in New York and we went to the World Trade Everything was connected somehow. But I realized through this journey of my becoming and my clarity of self-value and self-honor, 
I have got to feel settled inside myself. That's the real home that I was looking for that took a long period of time for me to realize. And when I got to that realization that, ah, and it was a whole process to get there, I decided how I feel matter. It's okay to rebel. That's the name of my company, the name of everything I do. We must rebel from what society expects us to do, to say, to believe, to be, to show up as, and be so rooted in our truth that it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. If your home is sacred, that's all you really need. If you're living in truth and you're not hurting anyone, that's your safe space. That is your divine home. And that's where I live right now. So regardless of where I'm living, it is home. And it feels good. I'm grateful for this space. Yeah, absolutely. And how long did it take you to come to that realization from that really dark place? I'd say it took about two or three years mm-hmm. because of depression. I went through a battle depression for a very long time. I battled suicide attempts as well. It was very dark, very difficult. And the real the real revelation or spiritual awakening I had, and I write about it in the book, I was driving around a lot. And one day I was driving on Virginia's highway and I just dawned, wanted to drive over this bridge. I'm like, I had enough. It has to be the end. And in that moment of me accelerating, I had an awakening where I literally heard a voice say, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. And somehow that moment changed everything about what was available for me. Because all the while I thought darkness, depression, nightmares, I can't sleep, I'm not eating well, I'm turning to ice cream for, for, for comfort, for a hug, I'm doing all these things that are hurting. And when that voice had come back to me, it felt, I don't know where that voice was, was it within me, around me, was it what the divine, was it source, but I felt, oh, I belong somewhere, somebody cares for me in a way that feels like love, pure love. And so that was the like aha moment or spiritual awakening that said, no, you have a work, you have a job to do. You are purposed to do something more for your life because somehow you have the strength to get through this and to come this far because every suicide attempt didn't work. So there's a reason for that. Every time I would move and try to do different things, somehow I would get a song or music would save me in some way. So in all these skills I was developing unknowingly was helping to clarify, ah, you actually are needed. As you are, you are beautiful. Scars and all internal, external scars, you are necessary. And that felt so good, so good. But I had to invite myself with every move that I made, physical move, and every practice that I stumbled upon, I was like, ah, this feels good. It feels safe. So it took a long time to unwind, unravel the programmings that were inside my cells, inside my heart, inside my soul. It is such an unraveling, isn't it, all of that? And mm. so what were your first real steps towards finding a safe place in your life? I don't even think it was one thing. After that day in the car and the highway, that was, it was a knowing dawn. It was a feeling without any proof because I'd been to therapy and that wasn't necessarily working. It was helpful, but it felt like I didn't feel truly seen and cared for. One therapist, she wanted me to take 
and antidepressants and do all these things. And I said, no, she didn't like that. So it wasn't one thing. It was just a feeling inside of you. And this was my intuition coming back for me reconnecting with it, saying there's something about what you're feeling is authentic. Keep moving with that. So the next thing was I just reinvited myself to music and humming and singing and connecting with my body and knowing that even though I have scars on my legs from being whipped or my face looks like my father, this body is serving me. It's here to do work. So receive it, love it, take care of it. And the humming connected me with with this vibration of what loving myself could be. So the more I practice singing and listening to music and taking walks and really slowing down my life, and being with myself in a loving way, that really helped me a lot. Because if you're working a lot and you have noise of working, being busy, of being so exhausted, sleep is a thing, you don't spend a lot of time being acquainted or getting to know yourself. And I was learning to do that. Instead of running away, I was spending more time with myself alone, listening and really honoring how I was feeling. And that made a big, big difference. So my intuition was coming back to me and that's that really propelled everything else thereafter. Oh, it's so beautiful, isn't it? Just to stop and start listening to what you need after mm-hmm. all those years. You speak of our intuitive intelligence being our superpower. Can you explain what intuitive intelligence is? Sure. For me and from my experience working with clients, it is just we all have, a, some of us have that sixth sense. The thing a message, a nudge, a whisper, a feeling that says, hey, don't make a right, make a left, that wakes us up in the morning, that takes us to work without even really paying attention to the direction, that tells us that that person is our future love, that says, "Ah, I think it's time to make that call. It's a divine knowing. Some of us are more spiritual. Some of us lean into gospel, whatever the source of that intelligence is, it's debatable for everyone. It's a knowing that needs no proof. It's a feeling that does not subscribe to logic. It needs no reasoned explanation. You don't have to debate it. You just know. And so that divine intelligence, I believe we all have it. For me, it was very strong when I was a child in some regard. And then in my 20s, it went away. Then it came back thereafter very strong. This Feeling is a sacred message, sacred information that loves you and wants the best for you. And it's inviting you to trust that feeling that needs no proof, that is not attached to scripture sometimes, that's not attached to what anybody else believes about you. And it invites you to truly believe that you are trustworthy just because you feel it and you know it and that's all you need. And it's hard sometimes to trust that feeling because so many of us need proof. You need somebody to co-sign, let's call it, agree, get get an opinion from somebody else. It's difficult to trust it, especially when your trust source, your template of human caring is, is shattered by different trauma and so forth, depending on how you were raised and so forth, your experiences. Absolutely. And we do really distrust ourselves, especially as women, And it's hard to ask for things. It's hard to receive things as women, isn't it? And how can we begin to really trust ourselves? I talk about this more in my second book. Also my first book. The first thing is for me, it's quiet listening. 
quiet listening is just finding some place that there's no noise, just you and yourself, maybe you and your God, you and your plants, whatever, and really self-question. Ask yourself as if you were speaking to a child, because unless you become intimately familiar with what you like, what you desire, what you love, how you feel, and how that feeling directs your actions, we will be disconnected from the truth of who we are. If we placate ourselves with all the things that we should get, and because Jane says to get it, Peter says to get it, and Paul likes you wearing a dress, whatever, or this occupation is desirous because everybody else says it, we don't get to know who we truly are. So it's almost like, how would you get to know your child? Treat yourself the same way. Have that conversation lovingly, without judging. And it takes time, it takes patience, it takes care, and it really takes willingness and your consent, your agreement to say, today I did X, Y, and Z. What was that emotion that drove me there? Who was around me? Why did I feel I needed to do that? Why and what is it teaching me about myself that I need to learn? And when you get that message, Dawn, it's like saying, just because I get that message, it's real for me. This is how I feel. Even though your friend may not feel the same way, I feel it. So it's valid. And it's something that I must honor. And it's real because I'm living it. I'm experiencing it's my vulnerability. It's hard for us to do that because we are not taught to trust to listen to ourselves, coming back to my parents and how I was raised. We're not taught to self-inquire. I mentioned this in my second book, the act, the art of non-doing, where you just sit still and be and feel and become aware of your surroundings, whatever that is, your internal world and what's happening. No one teaches you that. They say you're lazy, you're not doing something, right? So it's very important for us first to give ourselves permission to just listen, listen to the truth that comes up for us. I love that so much. I just feel so emotional (laughs) listening Mm. to you saying that because as women especially, you know, we, we just don't do that for ourselves. And I think there's so much guilt in, in just allowing ourselves to spend the time, you know, (laughs) we, we just don't give ourselves time for that. And, and even, even though I know a lot of these things, you know, consciously, it's like, you still put it as the last thing on your list, right? Mm. You, you, I'll get to that. I'll get to really listening to myself when I've done these other 500 things that I've got to do first. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's really taking the courage to listen to yourself. There's, there's some courage in there too, isn't there, to change yes, things. there's loads of courage. There's loads of courage. And I think for me, Dawn, because it was a battle to love myself. Mm. A battle. So even the first thing in the morning, just this quick practice, maybe it's one minute before I get out of the bed right there. It's not a long meditation. Maybe it's less than a minute. I'm like, oh, how do I feel? What do I want to do today? What do I desire? Just that self-witnessing, loving. Now when I invite my clients to do this, Tap into what love feels like just for yourself. It doesn't have to be a whole laundry list of things that intimidates us. Just in the moment you're sitting, you're brushing your teeth. Ah, look at you. It's like you self-talk. Let me just check out myself. You did a good thing today. What do you have planned? It's like you're having a chat with your son, your daughter, your, your cat. It doesn't have to be an event. 
where we postpone it until the end of the day. It's in every moment of the day we catch ourselves and become aware of ourselves because awareness, our self-awareness is the first step to our changing what it is that we'd like to change in our lives. It's the first step in realizing, ah, this is how I feel. This is what I'd like to do. This is what I'd like to create. And that's how we begin to change the quality of our reality, just by being aware. So it's the first thing in the morning. Sometimes I have to, I'm stepping out of the bed. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, what am I going to do? I'm so, you know what I mean? So yeah. you invite that feeling. And slowly, it's just like a practice. So sometimes when I first began this, I attached this practice, one minute, whatever, to brushing my teeth, taking a shower. So literally I started to dance in the shower because that evoked just moving joy and another emotion other than depression. That was very propelling for me in the beginning. I said, I just found a way to combat or to balance the other emotions that I was feeling because all the darkness was so prevalent. It's just the small things, being more aware, putting a post-it in your house. And when you see that yellow post-it, you know, ah, dance time or humming time or seeing myself and celebrating what I did today, whatever, whatever little tricks we have to do to help us remember that we need our own love too. I love that so much. I'm mm -hmm. definitely going to start doing that. <laughs> Just incorporating it into all, all parts of the day. Thank you so much for that beautiful advice. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And I guess looking back at, at your life, and I'm sure so many people listening, our boundaries were so crossed as children, the boundaries were non-existent. So how can we start to believe that we deserve to set boundaries for ourselves? I think the first thing, Dawn, is it may sound simple. Give yourself consent to feel that the environment that you are creating, with whether it's your internal world or your physical external world, you are the architect of that space. You are the God, to use that word, may resonate with some people, but you are the captain of that ship and everything that you do in that space that feels like loving, support, nourishment, healthy, is to your responsibility. It is your gift, a sacred gift for yourself and you control that. And anybody, whomever it is, that you invite in that space, 
you decide that because you want them to be there. It's not that you're feeling you're better than they are, but you know how sacred you are and your space is and how nobody else will get it. Understand how precious your time is and what your day looks like. So it's our responsibility to decide what love feels like. So in that moment, what does love feel like if Jane just pops by or if my in-laws just pop by and disregard what I say? That doesn't feel like love. It's hurting me. And so expressing it and saying, listen, this is how I feel. It's authentic. And nobody else gets it but me. But it matters to me. And knowing that, Dawn, it's a practice that says how we feel is important. What we want is important. And if that's not respected, there are repercussions. And communicating it in words, not in facial expressions or not in silence, because that's not necessarily kind to yourself. It's almost devaluing your value that you're trying to instill by staying quiet and so forth. So it's really honing in, we talked about it earlier, and becoming aware of what you need, what you desire most. It's difficult to create boundaries. I will not lie, especially for your parents. But I realized once you decide the value that you're creating in your space, your core values, what you need, you show up and honor that. And the moment that you dishonor and say, ah, she could call at five, they come over at nine, uh, but she's getting in the way. And then my day is turned upside down. I'm not sleeping. You're already giving them permission to disrespect you. You're already rewinding all the stuff that you trained yourself to do. So it's being rooted in knowing that loving yourself is, is okay. We mm-hmm. as women, you said, we are taught to be nurturers and give, 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 give. But the more we give ourselves, our own sacred needs, we open up ourselves to receive more of what we truly secretly desire. And so we create that space, but we can't if we are so stretched, so tight wound tight by doing and pleasing all these people we have to say guilt you do not belong here right now love belongs here and love says i'm not taking any calls at this time boundaries yeah and honoring it within ourselves too you know honoring it within ourselves Mm. oh my gosh yes all of that all of that is it's just so powerful isn't it it's taking your power back and and it's very hard when you live in a world where the vast majority of people still think that we're meant to be living on this timeline where we're open to doing things the way other people tell us to do it. It's very hard to be the person that says, actually, I'm not going to do that. I'm doing what's best for me. Mm-hmm. And I suppose a lot of people just think that you're being selfish by doing that. But that's you- yes, but that's their responsibility. Mm. Dawn, this is years of me practicing this. I felt all the guilt. I felt all the things. But I literally have to say the words and engage my whole body. What it is that you need? What and who are you responsible for? I and you, Dawn, we're not responsible for anybody's opinion of us. We truly are not. That's their work to do for themselves. Again, we're coming from a place of self-honor. You know your journey. I know my journey. And I fought so hard. My clients have fought so hard to get to this space of sitting in the seat of their power. And so all the emotions that come up for them were deposited by their God themselves, their maker, so they're real. And so that's why you authenticate it and not discredit it and not judge it. It's real to you. So if I say love to me feels like 
not answering the phone or telling my boss, I need this vacation day. That feels like love. So I'll go to the doctor. Then that's what I need. I think we're so used to taking care of everybody else and diminishing what we need for ourselves. The more we do that, we dim our inner power, our light, our truth. And so we're going backwards in the stone ages and making ourselves feel less than. And we keep reinforcing all the things we do not allow ourselves to have by us violating our own consent to have it by regressing into these patterns that are not loving. So selfishness, some people may say it, and I've had people say that to me. And I said, that's your responsibility. That's not mine. If we communicate in words that this feels like love, and I tell you, support me in this, my love. Support me in this this space that I'm creating. I literally had this conversation recently, and the person did not understand and said, then you have to fly. We have to separate from each other because right now you are not helping me create the safe space of love that I need to flourish because you're not ready to go there. You're not ready. The person was not ready to do that self-work and they were not ready to move at the pace that they could. But again, we have to keep believing that how we feel is valid and we deserve what we need. What we desire is valid because we desire it because somebody else is unless we're, we're not hurting anyone to caveat that again mm. well thank you very much for that that's I mean just that is quite life-changing it is absolutely quite life-changing to be told that and it just it lights my soul up when I think that we can teach this to our kids and as they come through we are going to be changing the world with these sorts of understandings because it's going to be coming through the generations and that is so mm-hmm. exciting do you speak about cleaning your energy is that what you mean is that what cleaning your energy is mm. ah great question comes back to what we talked about earlier i think the first thing if we say cleaning energy it means that Energy, we know energy, we are living and breathing and moving with a certain frequency, whatever it is, joy has a certain energy, sadness has a certain energy. So it's cleaning, if you want to call cleaning up energy, it's it's us first becoming aware of how we feel, all of it, bring it all up. Don't drink the extra glass of wine. I invite my clients, don't drink the extra glass of wine, have all your emotions come up and be present. Pain needs attention. Joy needs to be pain, sister holding her hand so we could get through this. So cleaning up your energy is not necessarily diminishing or denying how you feel. It's bringing it all up and deciding now I have full attention of what I'm feeling and the, and this people are triggering this feeling. What am I going to do now? Because your intention and your attention creates your reality. So you can keep doing all the things if you choose to that brings you feeling low energy, shame, pain, guilt, or you can say, you know what, what can I learn from this teacher of love and shift more into a feeling of joy, understanding, compassion, grace. And that's what I say when we clean up our energy, we decide how we want to feel, how we want to be, and the actions that we take get us there. That's why I always come back to your feelings, Your emotions decide your actions. And emotions, each of them, have a certain energetic frequency. Joy feels different than sadness and pain. 
And who wants to feel sad and pain all the time? But it's not training ourselves. It's bad. We shouldn't feel sadness. We shouldn't feel pain. It's saying, no, come in here. You need attention, sadness and pain. I call it in my book, Blue Children. Come and tell me what it is you need for me to learn from this shame, this guilt, this fear, and embrace it all and help yourself transfer that into a more elevated state. But maybe it's just gratitude. Thank you, shame for teaching me that what I really need is a hug. What I really need is to be around people who care for me or be in a safe space. Every emotion has a job to do. And that's the energy we try to shift, not deny, but shift into something that feels more like gratitude or love or acceptance. Mm. So it's really changing shame into love. Understanding it has a job because shame for me, even moments, I have moments of shame. It still happens, but I don't punish myself for having that feeling. I don't sedate that feeling. I listen to what's that shame bringing up? What was I doing? What was I not doing? What does it relate to? And I I say, okay, so this is something I need to change. Do I give myself consent to make that change, to divorce myself from that emotion? or shift it into acceptance. It's all up to us. But sometimes we are so used to not allowing ourselves to feel, we just sweep it under the rug and then it shows up like a volcano and it erupts in different ways, whether our bodies are shaken, whether we can't sleep or whatever it may be for some of us, it shows up if we keep denying our emotions that are truly messengers for more intelligent design if we keep pushing them down, they will find a way to get our attention, the good and the bad, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you work within a framework of intuitive healing. Can you tell us how intuitive healing helps us? Sure. It starts with us authenticating how we feel, really. It starts right there, coming back to listening to the messages that you're intelligence is giving you so it's really honing in on that and knowing that because you feel it it's real it matters and then next because you feel it it's real how does this feeling show up in your life because dawn we we come from a place of logic if this doesn't make sense we don't do it if jane has done it then it's true and it's real and this is the way we should live but if you don't feel it if your feelings are not attached to the mental chatter in your mind or the plans you have for yourself and they're not rooted in the truth of desire they will not come through i call it desire fling where you think you want to do this because everybody else is doing it but in the end something will trigger in your life that will take you off that path and that's the divine intelligence whether or not you plan to become an accountant and it shifted in something else whatever it is who you are meant to be will show up and disrupt your life <laughs> or reveal your new life to yourself. So feelings, getting aware of how you feel, getting aware if there's anything you'd like to change, becoming aware of how your feelings show up in your life, the type of people you invite energetically or strategically, the jobs you have, and moving with that clarity and keep working through what do I want? Who am I? What do I truly desire in my life? Because I desire it in my life. Listening to your soul's song. And it's hard to 
listen and trust it if you've never done it. And if it is contrary to what everybody else is doing, you begin to invalidate it or judge yourself. So intuitive listening, intuitive healing is just that, listening to the truth that's coming through your feelings and you decide, is this feeling, is this life I'm living serving me or do I want to change it? And then you're taking the inspired actions to do that work and then realizing healing is love. Healing is holy work. Healing is long-term loving because everybody that I know, Dawn, everybody that I know is on some type of healing journey. It does not have to be from trauma. It can be from just breathing. You come upon somebody in traffic and they say something. It wounds your soul. It hurts. They minimize your thoughts. Or you yourself, me, myself, may not believe I should rest this extra hour because I have to go do the thing. And we self-punish in different ways. So listening to the messages and your truth, that right there, that right there helps you feel more centered in becoming your home and knowing that within you, you truly know what's best for you. You truly know what's best for you. You just don't maybe trust it yet. You don't think it's valid yet because everybody else says something else or is doing something else. Yeah, it takes a while. It's just practice, isn't it? It's tra- mm-hmm. it's practice and allowing ourselves to really trust. And, and the only way you can do that is by doing it more and more, I guess. Mm. And you're also into inner child healing work. How important is that? Wonderful question. From my experience, and some many of my clients are also trauma survivors, our early development and the way we were taught to express ourselves or taught not to express ourselves, that shapes our communication style. It shapes how we regard ourselves. It shapes the relationships that, that we eventually join and be a part of as adults. It shapes how we value ourselves. So if we may be, let's say, 40, 50, 25 years old, but emotionally, the way we express ourselves is through temper tantrums or slamming the phone or stomping about or, you know, at a level of a childhood because they're still developing. That's the inner child healing. That's the fear, the shame, the guilt, the confusion that needs our awareness to sit with that, coming back to quiet listening, and help us understand you're acting out because you do not feel seen, heard, cared for, loved, as if you were a five-year-old. So that's why I say, coming back to the fear, the shame, there's nothing wrong with shame, fear, and guilt. They're just giving us messages. They want our attention. And until we give it our attention, our inner child will act out and stomp about. That's what the inner child work zeroes in on, realizing Parts of us, if you've been traumatized or you have not dealt with regulating your emotions, will act out in a way that's not helpful, that's more hurtful and more harmful. And that's when you soothe that feeling. Right now, if you'd like, if you're in in feeling that emotion, that tension, that anger, and your boss says a thing and you just want to slam the door and quit your job, you go to a quiet place, hug on yourself. And you spend time as if you were back to being a five-year-old and you soothe yourself. How you feel matters. I feel it. I see it. And you talk yourself through that and I help my clients with that so that you can come back to a place of an adult would have a proper conversation. This is what I feel. This is what I don't feel. Because if we keep invalidating all the emotions that are just 
comforting or uncomfortable, we will act out like we are children. And that's not what we truly want as adults. And we will engage in certain relationships where we are looking for our father in the person we're dating to solve our problems, to be a financial support system, to take care of us emotionally. That's our job. That's our job. But until we, we have that awareness that, ah, the reason why I'm throwing this thing or screaming or cursing is because I cannot regulate how I feel within. And we need to do that work. We all do that work because this is our responsibility. That's what love feels like. Yeah. And I guess we all have an inner critic, that voice that is always running us down <laughs> and telling us what we can and can't do. How do we distinguish that voice from our our true soul voice and our mm-hmm. intuition? For me, and I share with my clients, the inner voice usually is sitting in a whole soup of negativity. And it tells you, this is your mind, your busy thinking mind. It tells you all these stories and 99.9% of them are not true. It's just the fear. It's just the confusion, the bewilderment. And so that's why I say when it comes up, you speak to the inner critic as if it were another human and you give it your attention because it needs attention. That's the fear, all these negative things. Yes, inner critic, what are you really saying? That this is going to happen. Is it really true? Did that really happen? You talk to it, you talk it all the way through as if you ask the questions that it's bringing up. You walk it all the way through and then you realize just this fear. So then you add that fear emotion finally and said, what is the fear really telling me? Because that's what the inner critic is bringing is what's this fear underneath all the way down? Am I blaming someone? Hmm? Am I resentful? Am I bitter? What? Let's go all the way down. And it takes courage to get there because your inner critic is trying to keep you safe, safe in quotation. It's not. It's trying to talk you out of listening and discovering the real reason it's showing up. The real reason, that's not necessarily intuition. It's just another way of you paying attention to something that maybe you're feeling, but you're not ready to uncover or address. So it could be intimidation of maybe a transaction or business that you're thinking about. So you think all the things are going to go wrong, but how do you really, really truly feel? Do you desire to do this thing? Because for example, when I started my coaching practice, I walked away from a very lucrative corporate environment. And so the, all the things, oh, this could go wrong. This, da, da, da. And, and when you come back to the core of your true desire, this fear is just telling you, you are stepping into a space that you've never done before and it's intimidating you. Whatever that space is or relationship, you're starting a relationship and you've never done this before. It feels like love and all these things are going to go wrong. But you have to tell yourself, Dawn, when that comes up, what's on the other side of this chatter? It could be, and you talk all the things. I could meet somebody like Dawn. It could help other women. That truth and that desire that's connected to that feeling of love and hope, that little glimmer is what keeps you in the direction of your true joy, the direction of your desire to live the life you want. Because that inner critic will always be there, talking you out of your greatness. And sometimes your inner critic is not even your voice. It's the voice of the person who hurt you. It's the voice of the whispers that they told you way, way, way back in your subconscious. You'll never do this because your parents, people who look like you, da, 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 da. and it's just 
busy, busy. And one of my clients, I had a session with her. I said, one of the things that helped her, I told her this practice, sometimes you just have to clap and I'm not going to clap you because it's going to reverberate. You just have to do something physical to snap your body back into reality. What is true? I clap. I stand up. What is true? This is nonsense. Go away. <laughs> sometimes you have to do that, Dawn, to come yeah. back to the present, to come back to the present. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's really great advice. So why did you become an intuitive healing coach? I did not know any other way to be. This was my calling. I knew it years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago. You always, again, your intuition comes through and it gives you little whispers. What about this thing? And it's so overwhelming. I thought, what? To step out on my own and to follow this pull, this thing that I can do in my sleep, helping other people that doesn't even feel like an occupation. I couldn't be any other way. I tried to stay in the corporate world for a while and again and again and again, I would be pulled to the space of responsibility. You were given the gift of life. You were given the gift of transforming other people's lives. It is your responsibility to help others. It is your responsibility to help others. And it is a privilege. The privilege of my self-healing is doing this work. I call it community service. Community service. I don't know how else to be. It will always call me. It's like when I get songs, sometimes in my sleep, sometimes I'm walking. They just show up. Do I go looking? No, that's from source. It's from your soul. It's just how I am. So no other choice, Dawn. I cannot be anything else but... I'm honored to do just that because there's so many souls in need of help. That's the truth. And so Mm -hmm. anybody who's listening to this, how can you help them? Who should be reaching out for your help? Or I'd say if you feel, if you desire to live and to have a certain experience that you believe, you have to start there, that you feel your soul's calling whatever that experience is, but self-doubt and all its masks, right? Self-doubt shows up in different ways, different types of trauma, different types of second guessing. And sometimes it's manifests through grief, whatever it is. If you feel there's some block in the way of you getting, touching, tasting, feeling, believing, living in this space that you desire to, then I may be able to help you with that. But Dawn, with everything I say to, with everyone, You first have to give your consent to yourself to access that feeling. Because if you're not there, if you're rooted still in shame and pain and all these things that make you self-punish and make you live in a space of, I don't have this, I will never be, it's going to be hard for you to create this hopeful feeling if you're still in that space of self-denial, self-punishment. So... I have different types of offerings in my practice. I have a a mini healing retreat. And again, it could just be used for getting clarity about what you'd like in your life. It's not as intensive as my three-month program, my one-on-one private coaching program. And that's why, because we all come from different lived experiences, different backgrounds, I have a consultation I offer as well, a free consultation. So just that we can chat, have a chat with whomever is thinking about working with me or needs help and getting clarity. And we have that chat. And if I can help, I offer my service. If I can't, I point them in the direction of one of my colleagues. 
because we all are at different places in our lives, in our healing stages. And I honor that. I honor that. But we first have to give individually ourselves consent. I deserve to feel this thing. I agree that I deserve to feel, you call the emotion. And then you make that step. Because without you being a part of that conversation with your soul, it will be difficult to make that change that you Uh, need and you seek. Well, just sitting opposite you, I think anybody that gets to work with you is going to be incredibly blessed. Mm. Let me say that. Me with them. Thank you so much. And me with them, because it is an equal exchange of support, passion, of elevation. Equal exchange, equal exchange. It's an honor. Thank you, Dawn, for sharing that, for, for that loving, loving exchange. You just expressed the air for me. So thank you. Thank you. And you've written your first book, Inner Child Healing, Heal Your Wounds, Train Your Mind, Create a New You, which just sounds incredible. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Ah, yes. I wrote this book in 2021. In three weeks, I took vacation from my pressure cooker job. I said, it's happening now, my calling. I keep putting this thing off. And so I wrote it. It was very cathartic. And there are moments I had to put the book away because memories were resurfacing. Again, we work at a pace that we can handle emotionally. I just felt driven since maybe 2015 or so to write this book, but I wasn't fully seated in my truth. In the background of my mind, oh my gosh, my island, what would they say? How my parents would think? I had all these stories and I realized that my belonging to myself and owning my truth is bigger than me. It's a reason why we're doing this work, Dawn. It's a reason why these memories came back because some other soul is waiting for this example of what freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of finding your voice, just being being present in your truth feels and could look like. So that responsibility drove me to write this book. And then for a while, I, I, I let it sit and I, we found an editor that resonated with my soul. Time works as it should. I found a a designer that resonated and it all came to fruition. And along the way, I found other folks like you to help me connect with the broader audiences. And so it's here and I'm grateful to use this as a springboard because I love writing. I love writing music, whatever it is. Really, words help me connect to my truth and to others whether you're living in different parts of the world, you pick up a book, you read a social media post, whatever it is, music, it helps us all connect and to belong to the broader ecosystem of love, of compassion, of humanity. Because sometimes we feel very much alone when we're suffering or struggling and that isolation is so unloving. It's so hurtful. So I'm honored to share this book and, and the chance that you presented here for me to share it with you and your audience. Yes, well, it sounds like definitely something we should be going out and getting a copy of. So please do check the show notes where I will post the link to directly purchase that book. And when you are on all the social media channels, I believe as Rebel, is it Rebel for a Spell? Sorry, (laughs) Rebel for a Spell. No problem. And how about your website? It's rebelforaspell.com. Okay, so I will put all the links to find when in the show notes. Please do go and look her up. Oh, my gosh, when this has been such a powerful conversation, you're doing such incredible work. 
your understanding of where we find ourselves in the depths of despair and what we need to do to heal is remarkable. Thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably from your own story and for connecting us with such incredible wisdom today. I just appreciate you. Thank you so much, Dawn, for all that you are doing and the avenues and the channels of our hearts that you are opening by just inviting us to have this conversation with ourselves. That's so important. That's so important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to Quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.